Hello, and welcome to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Thank you for joining us for this in-depth study of God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources or to read her blog, visit her website at intheword.com. And now, Michelle. Welcome to our study in Ephesians. In our last lesson, Paul spoke about transformation in the life of a Christian and how inward spiritual change naturally leads to an outward change in the life of the believer. He spoke of the way people once lived when they were alienated from God and how their repeated rejection of the Lord really led them to a hardness of heart that allowed them to go into all kinds of sin. He urged the Ephesians that since they had come to Christ, they were now new creations, and as such, the new man needed to be put on. Their former conduct, the way they used to live, should not be true of them now that they were in Christ. And of course, what he said to them then applies to us today, because we need to cooperate with the Holy Spirit as he begins to change us also. The way we've learned to think in the past has been shaped by the world. And so as Christ followers, we are to renew our minds through the study of God's word. And that is going to bring about a change as we begin to obey what the word of God says. Think about about it. The world says you don't need to tell the truth, just don't get caught. The world says you have the right to revenge if someone wrongs you. The world tears down rather than builds up, and there's a lot of selfishness. It's all about my version, my rights, my needs, my freedom to say whatever I want. It's all about me. And that way of thinking often leads to bitterness and anger when we don't get what we think we deserve. And that then can lead to broken relationships. Christ calls us to put all of those old things away and to show grace to others, even as in Christ God showed grace to us. We're to speak the truth in love, because God is love and truth is his language. We're to be forgiving because we have been forgiven, and we're to share with those in need to build them up. Now, it's not always going to be easy, but as we trust in him, God's going to empower us with his strength. As long as we remember that irrespective of our circumstance, he is on our side. He loves us. He, we matter to him. And ultimately, he is in control of our lives and our future. Do you see why this was such a powerful message coming through Paul, though? Because he was falsely accused and imprisoned, and yet, even in the midst of his own terrible circumstances, he was living out what he asked them to do. Now, as we go into chapter 5, we're going to see that as Christ followers, we are to walk in love, walk in light, and walk in wisdom. So let's pick up the text in Ephesians 5 verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. 
Therefore, because we have been forgiven, because we've been spiritually reborn into this new life in Christ, therefore we are to imitate our Father as children do. I mean, think about it. Most children repeat what their parents say. Uh, If you haven't yet, I know I have. Often you see the way a child acts or hear what they say, and you know it's an exact imitation of their parent. We are to imitate our Heavenly Father as His dear children. And the word dear in the text there can also be translated as His beloved children. He loves us. We are precious in His sight. And we are to be like Him, not only in word, but even more especially in the way we act, in deed. Christ loved us to the point of giving up everything to die in our place. He is our substitute sacrifice. He is the way in which we're saved from the penalty of sin. And we need to be willing to lay our lives down too for the sake of others. According to verse 2 there, his death was an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. To understand this, you really need to understand something of the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. Testament. A sacrifice would be offered, and to show that they held nothing back from the Lord, it was then consumed by fire on the altar, and the smoke and the smell that rose up from it was seen as a sweet-smelling or pleasing offering to the Lord, because really it was evidence of the fact that they'd held nothing back from Him. And In order to redeem us from our old master sin, Christ held nothing back on our behalf either. He gave it all on the cross, and as God's children, we are now free indeed. Jesus himself told us in John 8, 36, If the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Child of God, do not let yourself be burdened again by the yoke of slavery to sin. Put off that old way of life, knowing that as you do, that too will be a sweet-smelling offering to the Lord. Paul then goes on to mention some of the things associated with the life that is far from God. But that being said, I don't want you to think of this as a list of all the things you have to give up as a Christian. Rather, this is a list of the things that he has set us free from. And truly, we need to walk in that reality. We are free from what enslaved us in the past. Verse 3, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Now, I realize that a lot of these sound like very old-fashioned words here, but let's take a closer look at what Paul is saying, because what Paul's asking us to do is to live in a way that's different to the world around us. And he starts by naming fornication as being something that's not fit for the saints. In other words, it's not fit for God's holy people. This word, fornication, really means immorality, but the Greek word in the text really refers to any sexual act outside of God's definition of marriage. Now, uncleanness here can be translated impurity. And do you see how that impurity is somehow linked to coveting? 
which is, of course, a, a desire for what you do not have. Now, I understand it may seem strange to you that these two things are put together, but often people's lust for what they don't have can bring them into all kinds of contamination. None of this is fitting for the people of God. And according to verse 4, even the way we speak will begin to change. Dirty jokes are going to lose their appeal. Now, I want to say Christians can be funny. And in fact, they should be some of the most joyful, funny people you know, but just not in the same way as they those people used to be before. It's not going to be over the same things. Our lives have to reflect our gratitude to God for all that he has done for us and there to show the real joy that he has now put in our hearts. If you're wondering how all this applies to walking in love, though, I want you to think about it. Those governed by their lusts and desires, they're usually what we call users. They're focused on themselves and they use other people for their own gain. They make disgusting jokes at other people's expense. And there's no real love in that way of life. But those who belong to Christ are called to a different path and we're called to walk in love. Then Paul goes on to say something that at first glance appears quite shocking in verse 5. He says, For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let me put it this way. Jesus is all about forgiveness. He's also all about freedom and transformation. These descriptions, they may have applied to us once, but they don't any longer. If we're still tangled up in that old lifestyle, if we're still identifying ourselves with the sins that we used to commit, we have to then ask ourselves, is Christ really our Savior? Because if he is our Savior, then he must be Lord also. If he has paid the price for you, then you belong to him and not to your old master anymore. Jesus wants you free to live the new life he has for you. The old way is gone and the new way has come. And, you know, with his help, with the strength of the Holy Spirit, you can walk free of those old habits. Today, you may hear a false preacher say that you can live any way you want, and it's actually because the grace that's available in Christ means that sin doesn't really matter anymore, because everything can be covered. But look at what Paul goes on to say here in verse 6. He says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be part partakers with them. So he instructs us to let no one deceive us with words that are empty of the truth. There were false teachers back in Paul's day, and as prophesied in the scripture, even today, many people teach what itching ears want to hear. Their messages don't really line up with the truth of the word of God. And that's why we have to know what the Bible says for ourselves. And not only that, we have to let it be our guide rather than what people say. 
Do you see in verse 6 there, it says that the rebellious are called the sons of disobedience, and they are the recipients of God's wrath. Now, it's important to know that that word disobedience in the text is apatheia, meaning determined resistance to the will of God. Some people really are determined to resist the truth of God's word. And though we are to love them, according to verse 7, we should not be partakers with them in their sin. We cannot be partners with them or join in what they do. Let me give you an example. I once knew a man who became a believer and he had had a drinking problem and then he came to the Lord. However, instead of leaving his old life behind, he wanted to go back to reach out to some of his friends down at the bar. Now, his concern for them might not have been a bad thing, but the problem was that when he went to the bar to talk to them, he always ended ended up drinking with them too. One drink would turn into many, then at about 2 a.m. in the morning, he'd call up another friend of ours from church to ask if he could bring the group from the bar over to his house to have the resurrection explained to them. They would all talk until the sun rose, but no one was ever saved because they couldn't remember the conversation when they sobered up. The only thing that that outreach ever did was to absolutely destroy the man's testimony. We are to reach out to those who obstinately oppose God, but we just can't be joint partakers with them to the point of sin. Why? Because Christ has changed our identity. We no longer live the way that we once did. Paul goes on to give the whole point of the whole book of Ephesians by saying, Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. What do you notice there in that verse? Does it say that we were once in darkness and now we are in the light? No, it says that darkness was what we used to be. And now that Christ is in us, we have been entirely transformed. We are now something that we never were before. This is a fundamental change of being. You see, you and I are new creations. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. In the past, we were darkness. That was our identity. But now we are light because we're in the Lord. And as such, we're to walk in this new nature. Our way of life must be as children of light. And according to Ephesians 9, as we cooperate with the Lord, he will cause the fruit of the Spirit to grow. And some of that fruit is goodness, righteousness, and truth. If you dig into the original meanings of the words here, you'll learn that we're to walk as his 
children with upright hearts, with kindness, integrity, purity of life, and we are to live according to the truth of his word. And of course, it's through his word that we come to find out what is acceptable to the Lord. This is a walk with God, and it's very important that we remember that the growth of any fruit is not instant. It's not like the fruit wasn't there yesterday and suddenly... Today, it's there. Fruit develops over time, and it usually comes in its season. And so I want you to know that there is grace in this journey with God as we learn to become fruitful in his kingdom. By contrast, do you see that the deeds or the works of darkness do not bear any real fruit at all. And verse 11 says that we are to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Now, this is something that's really important. If you look at the text, what is the Christian to have no fellowship with? We are to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works or the unfruitful deeds of the darkness. Now, in the past, I've heard this preached as don't have anything to do with people who are engaged in sin. And although we're not to be partakers in sin with them, it really is their deeds that we're not to have anything to do with. We're still to love them. We're still to reach out to them, but our lives have to bring a contrast to what they're doing. Our light should always show darkness for what it really is. There is, however, a personal aspect to this passage as well. Let's take a closer look. The New King James says in verse 12, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. I think it's easier to understand this in the NIV, which says, Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed to the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. So, Remember, it's the deeds of darkness that we're to have nothing to do with. And as we grow in our walk with the Lord, we are not to engage in secret hidden sins ourselves. Rather, everything needs to be surrendered to the light of Christ, because as we let his light shine on the sin in our own lives, that light will surely kill the sin and transformation will come. Do you see it's the light that brings about the change? As believers, doing something in secret does not make it okay because God knows everything. He sees everything that we do and he wants us to be free from the darkness that's lingering in the corners of our lives. But For him to do that, we have to bring those things into the light so that he can burn them away. We have to confess our sins to him so that indeed we might be healed. After God has dealt with us, then he can use our testimony of freedom to be a minister of freedom to others. Our light can be used in part to put their darkness to flight. Satan is the one who trades in secret things. And when the secret things are brought out from the darkness into the light, he loses his grip on them.
So these verses not only have a personal application, but they also have a public application too. Because as we live for Jesus, showing his love to others, the word of God says that we'll begin to shine his light like the stars in the night sky. Others will begin to see the contrast between our lives and actions and theirs, and Christ's light in us will begin to change the darkness, starting first with us and working ever outward. Verse 14, Paul says, Therefore he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Most scholars believe that Paul is quoting an early church hymn here. God wants everybody to wake up to his truth and to cast off their grave clothes and to step free of the darkness of the tomb that they once were in. And as we walk in the love and light of Christ, we're also to walk in wisdom, with understanding and sound judgment. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. So as followers of Christ, we're to be cautious in our walk. We're to live each day with God's wisdom, which is really the meaning of circumspectly there in the text. We're to make the most of our time because the days are evil. There's so much wickedness around us. We need to be focused on God's work, making the most of every moment, every opportunity that we have. And in verse 17, Paul calls us not to be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We're to understand God's ways and we're to live self-controlled lives that bring honor to him in all things. And he goes on. And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So we're not to be drunk with wine because it leads to dissipation. In other words, it leads to having no self-control. It's interesting that the first part of the brain affected by alcohol is the part that's responsible for self-control. So no wonder one drink becomes many. It's hard to be wise when you have no discipline or willpower. Paul says that rather we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Greek word for be filled there is pleroo, and importantly, it's in the present continuous tense. So what that tells us is that we are to be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit of God right now. This is not a one and done type of thing. We are always to be open to the infilling of the Holy Spirit so that we might overflow with the power of God to others. We are to be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord and giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So living by the power of the Holy Spirit causes us to overflow in our thankfulness to God and it fills our hearts with a new song, a song that we've never had in 
our hearts before. I remember when I first gave my heart to Jesus and when I was filled with his spirit, I used to look around me and it was as if I was seeing the scenery for the first time. Everything seemed more beautiful. Colors seemed more vibrant. And it was really because I was beginning to view the world in a different way to what I had before. And I was just thankful, thankful that I knew its creator. When we um, are filled with the Holy Spirit and are thankful to God, we'll begin to trust him and give him thanks. Do you see in the text, always for all things? Now, why would we do that? Why would we give thanks for all things? Because you know, some of the things that come our way are not easy. Some of the things that come our way, we would far rather avoid. But by the power of the Spirit, we can really give thanks to God for all things, because we know, according to Romans 8.28, that God works all things together for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, let me just say that that phrase or that passage of scripture does not mean that all things are good, but that when taken together in the hand of God, they can be used for great good. Even Joseph in Genesis, when his brothers sold him into slavery, you remember he told them in the end that he knew that they had meant it for evil, but that God had used it for good, for the saving of many lives. And the same can be true for us, because as we understand God's love for us, as we understand that he is indeed in control of our future and we need not fear because he holds it in his hand. As we understand that, we find ourselves able to lay down all of our frustrations and irritations with others, and we're more able to work together with people. And do you see in the text there, verse 21, it says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now, submission really we can trust him. And that's really where we're going to pick it up next time. Often people want to avoid lessons on submission, by the way, but trust me, you won't want to miss it because this is one of the most freeing lessons you can hear. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for all that you've said to our hearts today. Thank you for the challenge to live not as we once were, but as we now are. Help us to walk in accordance with that new reality. Lord, I pray that you would put a real love on our hearts for those who are far from you and that we would be willing to reach out to them in love, to shine the light of Christ in the darkness. But Lord, I also pray that you would protect us from joining with them in their sin. Lord, that you would help us not to compromise our own witness before them. Lord, help us to shine as stars in this generation. Lord, help us to truly be good ambassadors for Christ and to live worthy of the calling that we have received to the praise and glory of your name alone. Lord, thank you that we need not fear the future because we know that you hold our future in your hand. And so, Lord, no matter what befalls us, we pray that we would always represent you well. It is in Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Join us next week as we continue our study from God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources, visit her website at intheword.com.